Section 1 of Early Kings of Norway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Early Kings of Norway by Thomas Carlyle. Section 1 Preface. Chapters 1 and 2. Preface. The Icelanders, in their long winter, had a great habit of writing, and were, and still are, excellent in penmanship, says Dalman. It is to this fact, that any little history there is of the Norse kings and their old tragedies, crimes, and heroisms, is almost all due. The Icelanders, it seems, not only made beautiful letters on their paper or parchment, but were laudably observant and desirous of accuracy, and have left us such a collection of narratives, sagas, literally, says, as for quantity and quality, is unexampled among rude nations. Snorro Sturluson's history of the Norse kings is built out of these old sagas, and has in it a great deal of poetic fire, not a little faithful sagacity applied in sifting and adjusting these old sagas, and, in a word, deserves, were it once well edited, furnished with accurate maps, chronological summaries, etc., to be reckoned among the great history-books of the world. It is from these sources, greatly aided by accurate, learned, and unwearied Dahlman, the German professor, that the following rough notes of the early Norway kings are hastily thrown together. In histories of England, rapins excepted, next to nothing has been shown of the many and strong threads of connection between English affairs and Norse. CHAPTER One, HARALT HARFAGRA Till about the year of grace, 860, there were no kings in Norway, nothing but numerous jarls, essentially kinglets, each presiding over a kind of republican or parliamentary little territory, generally striving each to be on some terms of human neighborhood with those about him. But in spite of folketings, folk things, little parish parliaments, and small combinations of these, which had gradually formed themselves, often reduced to the unhappy state of quarrel with them. Harald Harfagra was the first to put an end to this state of things, and became memorable and profitable to his country, by uniting it under one head, and making a kingdom of it, which it has continued to be ever since. His father, Halfdan the Black, had already begun this rough but salutary process, inspired by the cupidities and instincts, by the faculties and opportunities, which the good genius of this world, beneficent often enough under savage forms, and diligent at all times to diminish anarchy as the world's worst savagery, usually appoints in such cases. Conquest, hard fighting, followed by wise guidance of the conquered, but it was Harald the Fair-Haired, his son, who conspicuously carried it on and completed it. Harald's birth-year, death-year, and chronology in general are known only by inference and computation, but, by the latest reckoning, he died about the year 933 of our era, a man of eighty-three. The business of conquest lasted Harald about twelve years, 
A.D. 860-872, in which he subdued also the Vikings of the Out Islands, Orkneys, Shetlands, Hebrides, and Man. Sixty more years were given him to consolidate and regulate what he had conquered, which he did with great judgment, industry, and success. His reign altogether is counted to have been of over seventy years. The beginning of his great adventure was of a romantic character. Youthful love for the beautiful Gidda, a then glorious and famous young lady of those regions, whom the young Harald aspired to marry. Gidda answered his embassy and prayer in a distant, lofty manner. Her it would not beseem to wed any jarl or poor creature of that kind. Let him do as Gorm of Denmark, Eric of Sweden, Egbert of England, and others had done. Subdue into peace and regulation the confused, contentious bits of jarls round him, and become a king. Then, perhaps, she might think of his proposal. Till then, not. Harald was struck with this proud answer, which rendered Gidda tenfold more desirable to him. He vowed to let his hair grow, never to cut or even to comb it till this feat were done, and the peerless Gidda his own. He proceeded accordingly to conquer, in fierce battle, a jarl or two every year, and at the end of twelve years had his unkempt and almost unimaginable head of hair clipped off. Jarl Rognevald, Reginald, of Moore, the most valued and valuable of all his subject jarls, being promoted to this sublime barber function. After which King Harald, with head thoroughly cleaned, and hair grown or growing again to the luxuriant beauty that had no equal in his day, brought home his Gidda, and made her the brightest queen in all the north. He had after her, in succession, or perhaps even simultaneously in some cases, at least six other wives, and by Gidda herself one daughter and four sons. Harald was not to be considered a strict living man, and he had a great deal of trouble, as we shall see, with the tumultuous ambition of his sons. But he managed his government, aided by Jarl Rognevald and others, in a large, quietly potent, and successful manner, and it lasted in this royal form till his death, after sixty years of it. These were the times of Norse colonization, proud Norsemen flying into other lands, to freer scenes, to Iceland, to the Faroe Islands, which were hitherto quite vacant, tenanted only by some mournful hermit Irish Christian fakir or so, still more copiously to the Orkney and Shetland Isles, the Hebrides, and other countries where Norse squatters and settlers already were. Settlement of Iceland, we say, settlement of the Faroe Islands, and by far the notablest of all, Settlement of Normandy by Rolf the Ganger, A.D. 876. Rolf, son of Rognevald, was lord of three little islets far north, near the fjord of Folden, called the Three Vigton Islands. But his chief means of living was that of sea robbery, which, or at least Rolf's conduct in which, Harald did not approve of. In the court of Harald, sea robbery was strictly forbidden 
as between Harald's own countries. But as against foreign countries, it continued to be the one profession for a gentleman. Thus I read, Harald's own chief son, King Eric that afterwards was, had been at sea in such employments ever since his twelfth year. Rolf's crime, however, was that in coming home from one of these expeditions, his crew having fallen short of victual, Rolf landed with them on the shore of Norway, and in his strait drove in some cattle there, a crime by law, and proceeded to kill and eat, which, in a little while, he heard that King Harald was on foot to inquire into and punish. Whereupon Rolf the Ganger speedily got into his ships again, got to the coast of France with his sea-robbers, got investment by the poor king of France in the fruitful shaggy desert, which is since called Normandy, land of the Northmen, and there, gradually felling the forests, banking the rivers, tilling the fields, became, during the next two centuries, Wilhelmus Conquestor, the man famous to England and momentous at this day, not to England alone, but to all speakers of the English tongue, now spread from side to side of the world in a wonderful degree. Tancred, of Hauteville and his Italian Normans, though important too in Italy, are not worth naming in comparison. This is a ferocious earth, and the grain of mustard-seed will grow, to miraculous extent in some cases. Harald's chief helper, counsellor and lieutenant, was the above-mentioned Jarl Rognevald of Moor, who had the honour to cut Harald's dreadful head of hair. This Rognevald was father of Turf Einar, who first invented peat in the Orkneys, finding the wood all gone there, and is remembered to this day. Einar, being come to these islands by King Harald's permission, to see what he could do in them, islands inhabited by what miscellany of Picts, Scots, Norse squatters we do not know, found the indispensable fuel all wasted. Turf Einar, too, may be regarded as a benefactor to his kind. He was, it appears, a bastard, and got no coddling from his father, who disliked him, partly, perhaps, because he was ugly and blind of an eye, got no flattering even on his conquest of the Orkneys and invention of Pete. Here is the parting speech his father made to him, on fitting him out with a long-ship, ship of war, dragon-ship, ancient seventy-four, and sending him forth to make a living for himself in the world. It were best if thou never camest back, for I have small hope that thy people will have honour by thee. Thy mother's kin throughout is slavish. Harald Harfagra had a good many sons and daughters. The daughters he married mostly to jarls of due merit who were loyal to him. With the sons, as remarked above, he had a great deal of trouble. They were ambitious, stirring fellows, and grudged at their finding so little promotion from a father, so kind to his jarls. See robbery by no means an adequate career for the sons of a great king, two of them, Halfdan Halleck, Longleg, and Gudrod Leome, Gleam, jealous of the favours won by the great Jarl Rognevald, surrounded him in his house one night, 
and burnt him and sixty men to death there. That was the end of Rognavald, the invaluable Jarl, always true to Harfagra, and distinguished in world history by producing Rolf the Gangar, author of the Norman Conquest of England, and Turf Einar, who invented peat in the Orkneys. Whether Rolf had left Norway at this time, there is no chronology to tell me. As to Rolf's surname, Gangar, there are various hypotheses. The likeliest, perhaps, that Rolf was so weighty a man, no horse, small Norwegian horses, big ponies, rather, would carry him, and that he usually walked, having a mighty stride withal, and great velocity on foot. One of these murderers of Jarl Rognavald quietly set himself in Rognavald's place, the other making for Orkney to serve Turf Einar in like fashion. Turf Einar, taken by surprise, fled to the mainland, but returned days or perhaps weeks after, ready for battle, fought with Halfdan, put his party to flight, and at next morning's light searched the island and slew all the men he found. As to Halfdan Longleg himself, in fierce memory of his own murdered father, Turf Einar cut an eagle on his back, that is to say, hewed the ribs from each side of the spine, and turned them out like the wings of a spread eagle, a mode of Norse vengeance fashionable at that time in extremely aggravated cases. Harald Harfagra, in the meantime, had descended upon the Rognavald scene, not in mild mood towards the new Jarl there, indignantly dismissed said Jarl, and appointed a brother of Rognavald, brother notes Dalman, though Rognavald had left other sons. Which done, Harfagra sailed with all speed to the Orkneys, there to avenge that cutting of an eagle on the human back on Turf Einar's part. Turf Einar did not resist, submissively met the angry Harfagra, said he left it all, what had been done, what provocation there had been, to Harfagra's own equity and greatness of mind. Magnanimous Harfagra inflicted a fine of sixty marks in gold, which was paid in ready money by Turf Einar, and so the matter ended. CHAPTER Two, ERIC BLOODAXE AND BROTHERS In such violent courses Harfagra's sons, I know not how many of them, had come to an untimely end. Only Eric, the accomplished sea-rover, and three others remained to him. Among these four sons, rather impatient for property and authority of their own, King Harald, in his old days, tried to part his kingdom in some eligible and equitable way, and retire from the constant press of business, now becoming burdensome to him. To each of them he gave a kind of kingdom. Eric, his eldest, to be head-king, and the others to be feudatory under him, and pay a certain yearly contribution, an arrangement which did not answer well at all. Head-king Eric insisted on his tribute. Quarrels arose as to the payment, considerable fighting and disturbance, bringing fierce destruction from King Eric upon many valiant but too stubborn Norse spirits, and among the rest upon all his three brothers, 
which got him, from the Norse populations, the surname of Blot Oxa, Eric Bloodaxe, his title in history. One of his brothers he had killed in battle before his old father's life ended. This brother was Bjorn, a peaceable, improving, trading economic underking, whom the others mockingly called Bjorn the Chapman. The great-grandson of this Bjorn became extremely distinguished by and by as St. Olaf. Head King Eric seems to have had a violent wife, too. She was thought to have poisoned one of her other brothers-in-law. Eric Bloodaxe had by no means a gentle life of it in this world, trained to see robbery on the coasts of England, Scotland, Ireland, and France, since his twelfth year. Old King Fairhair, at the age of seventy, had another son, to whom was given the name of Hawkon. His mother was a slave in Fairhair's house. Slave by ill luck of war, though nobly enough born. A strange adventure connects this Hawkon with England and King Ethelstan, who was then entering upon his great career there. Short while after this Hakon came into the world, there entered Fairhair's palace, one evening as Fairhair sat feasting, an English ambassador or messenger, bearing in his hand, as gift from King Ethelstan, a magnificent sword, with gold hilt and other fine trimmings, to the great Harald, King of Norway. Harald took the sword, drew it, or was half-drawing it, admiringly from the scabbard, when the English Excellency broke into a scornful laugh. Ha-ha! Thou art now the feudatory of my English king. Thou hast accepted the sword from him, and art now his man. Acceptance of a sword in that manner being the symbol of investiture in those days. Harald looked a trifle flurried, it is probable, but held in his wrath, and did no damage to the tricksy Englishman. He kept the matter in his mind, however, and next summer little Hakon, having got his weaning done, one of the prettiest, healthiest little creatures, Harald sent him off under the charge of Hauk, Hawk, so called, one of his principal warriors with order, take him to England, and instructions what to do with him there. And accordingly, one evening Hauk, with thirty men escorting, strode into Ethelstan's high dwelling. Where situated, how built, whether with logs like Harald's, I cannot specifically say, into Ethelstan's high presence, and silently set the wild little cherub upon Ethelstan's knee. "'What is this?' asked Ethelstan, looking at the little cherub. "'This is King Harald's son, whom a serving-maid bore to him,' and whom he now gives thee as foster-child. Indignant, Ethelstan drew his sword, as if to do the gift a mischief. But Hauk said, Thou hast taken him on thy knee, common symbol of adoption. Thou canst kill him if thou wilt, but thou dost not thereby kill all the sons of Harald. Ethelstan straightway took milder thoughts, brought up and carefully educated Hakon, from whom, and this singular adventure, came before very long the first tidings of Christianity into Norway.
Harald Harfagra, latterly withdrawn from all kinds of business, died at the age of eighty-three, about A.D. 933, as is computed. Nearly contemporary in death with the first Danish king, Gorm the Old, who had done a corresponding feat in reducing Denmark under one head. Remarkable old men, these two first kings, and possessed of gifts for bringing chaos a little nearer to the form of cosmos, possessed, in fact, of loyalties to cosmos, that is to say, of authentic virtues in the savage state, such as have been needed in all societies at their incipients in this world. A kind of virtues, hugely in discredit at present, but not unlikely to be needed again, to the astonishment of careless persons, before all is done. End of section 1. Early Kings of Norway. Preface and Chapters 1 and 2. Recording by Laura Koskinen.